0: Hi, I'm John Farmer, and this is a special midweek episode of Georgian Bay Roots, available only on the podcast. You're about to hear my complete interview with Liv Cazola of The Lifers and Tragedy Ann, discussing Music Declares Emergency, the connection of the music industry to the climate crisis, and what she's been up to over the past year. The conversation wraps up with a song from The Lifers, a quick heads up, we recorded this conversation over Zoom, so you'll hear some background noise from the computers and Liv's musical roommates. Thanks for listening. Welcoming back to Georgian Beirut's longtime friend of the show and summer folk, Liv Cazola, who you know as a former youth discovery, uh, as a performer with The Lifers, with Tragedy Ann, and... Um, and way back when we did, uh, you did you curated a little playlist for us as well. Liv, welcome back. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm feeling great. Thank you so much for having me back on the show.
0: Um, we are going to talk specifically today about Music Declares an Emergency. What is that?
1: Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is a organization that started out in the U.K., uh, led by Faye Milton and Faye just felt like you know, we. It, there were a lot of other um, actions being taken in different creative fields to say we stand against climate destruction and we stand for climate action and so Faye kind of started this movement where musicians and radio DJs and other, any, anybody in the industry, music fans, everybody can come together and call on our governments for um, telling the truth about the climate emergency and uh, making some really important system changes within the music industry as well. So that has since spread internationally and the Canadian chapter of Music Declares Emergency just began a couple weeks ago.
0: In what ways does the music industry contribute to some of the issues that this movement is trying to ad- address in terms of climate change or climate degradation?
1: Yeah, it's such a multifaceted thing. And, and you're right to kind of be aware of, you know, is it the cause or is it the effect kind of thing? Um, there's a lot of challenges that the music industry faces. Uh, in normal times, a huge one is travel. Uh, between the artists traveling all around to tour their music and also the fans coming to the shows. So transportation as a whole is a huge part of the amazing culture that we get to be um, kind of facilitators of as musicians. Uh, Another huge part of that is uh, materials too. So uh, as we know, the fashion industry is one of the worst contributed for pollution and uh, climate destruction in this moment. And so when making choices for band merch, that's a huge thing. Um, Also, the plastics uh, involved to make CDs and records are sadly all very intertwined with the fossil fuel industry. So there's just this uh, kind of interwoven, uh, unfortunate connection to what's happening on a global level right now in this climate emergency. So that that is a lot of the the challenges that we face. In addition to and probably like most paramount is also the environmental racism that is kind of rampant uh in this country and in many others as well. So that that is no the music industry is no stranger to that and we have a lot of work to do to lift up BIPOC voices and make sure that we are um, creating a safe place for everybody to experience and share music.
0: Um, for some of our listeners, they might not be familiar with the term environmental racism. Mm. What, what does that include?
1: It is one of the ways that we can start to think about things as less separate and more intertwined um essentially, my understanding of the word environmental racism has to do with the fact that marginalized people are often the ones who are experiencing the brunt of the climate emergency. So for example, often marginalized people are also uh, low-income folks, and so if you're living in a low-income area often that ends up being the places where landfills are and other uh, pollution um, often that just ends up being a target for our governments to ignore
0: and that that makes sense because when we think about the places where it's most affordable to live it's often the places where people don't want to live because of pollution or because of of other dangers. And I guess whether we're talking about in in a specific city or in the world, places like the Maldives that are are particularly on the forefront of rising ocean levels as a result of climate change, those are places that are often occupied by people who are lower income, but who are also racialized in, Mm -hmm. in so many ways. And whether we're talking about the Maldives or we're talking about Grassy Narrows in Ontario or in Owen Sound, the idea of of somewhere like Mudtown being a neighborhood that was not desirable to live in because of its proximity to industry and being downhill from a dump. It's thank you. That's environmental racism is is something that uh, certainly is gaining more attention and and appropriately so. I'm I'm curious, Liv, when I think about the role that musicians and music have played in raising awareness about issues like like. Ecological degradation and climate change and and the climate emergency. I think back to Joni Mitchell's song "Big Yellow Taxi," right, about, mm-hmm. um, about that incorporated uh, lyrics about DDT and paving, paving paradise for parking lots. What is it about this moment that makes it even more important for mm-hmm. people to be singing about and using their platforms to raise awareness about issues like the climate emergency?
1: Yeah. Well, I. I feel like the, the most blatant answer is that we now know so much more about the science behind how much time we have left. Uh, the IPCC report uh, is bleak in terms of how much needs to be done in so little time. Uh, and so we, it's important to be able to mobilize people, mass mobilize people all around the world to call on governments for these important and urgent changes. I think um, not only with, with the scientists coming together in that way, but also just what's happening on this global scale right now. I'm even thinking about the pandemic and how it is proof that governments can work fast and work hard to solve a problem. And it's interesting because the pandemic is much more of an obvious crisis, uh, a little bit more visible and experienced by more people more broadly, more obviously. So I, I, my hope is that movements like this are going to make visible the things that we don't always see in the privileged uh, centers of the world.
0: And you recently took part in a panel at the Folk Alliance international conference talking about these issues. Um, I guess, what did you learn on that panel and, and what were you sharing?
1: Oh, oh, that was such a treat. It was great. We were taught, I was able to have a conversation with uh, a few youth leaders in the world who are also involved within the music Um, within the music world (laughs) of its own. And one really positive thing I took away from the conversation with those youth who are leaders around the world is that people are willing to listen to them. Uh, It was really encouraging to be able to read the comments on the side as the stream was happening and hearing these adults uh, of various ages say we respect you and we want to do better and like these are some things in my community that are happening or you know just just really uh taking it in with a full heart that was one huge takeaway from that conversation for me
0: so that you got the sense that these messages about the the necessity in, of for urgent action are finally resonating
1: Hmm. yeah it and you know, it has to resonate with people kind of incrementally, like, it's, it's that whole idea of a ripple effect where you start the conversation, and that moves forward to a a larger conversation. And then, you know, you're suddenly you're speaking with the people in your local municipality and, and, you know, local governments that that can really start to help you make those changes.
0: Hmm. Do you think that artists and musicians are in a particularly strong place to to amplify these messages. Hmm.
1: Well, I I do know through through history that music has been a huge part of these kind of movements always. And I think I always think back to this expression. I don't even remember who told it to me, but you they they've said you can get an audience to sing anything with you. And so I think that is a really important way to summarize a musician's um, privilege. Uh, Whenever you're able to use your platform um, and stand in front of an audience and, and actually talk about what is going on and how people can get involved, if they already like you, they already like your music, they're singing along with you, it's a really great opportunity to just get those messages not only into their consciousness, but into their hearts. And I think that's a huge reason why music and art in general is such an important facilitator for these conversations, is because it takes it not only in an intellectual frame, but also putting it into the core of who you are.
0: Hmm. Um, As you're saying that, I'm thinking about the way that often the big problems that we face as communities or societies are framed as problems that we have to solve with our heads. But in reality, it takes our heads and our hearts. If we don't feel invested in something, we're not going to work to to do the difficult things that are required to meet that problem or to extend our, our empathy to recognize that even if I might be OK, if my neighbor's not OK, that means our community's not OK. And that that is heartwork. work.
1: Yes, yes, very much so. So when you're putting together music and uh, climate action, it for me is a is that's like a huge part of my heart. So I, I feel really, really lucky to be able to be doing this work right now.
0: How, how long have you been doing this work? Have you been drawn to it to, for a long time or do you feel like you're just stepping into a mobilized position now?
1: I feel like it's definitely been a gradual process in a lot of ways, uh, With especially with my band, The Lifers. This has been a core kind of tenant of our musical practice. Um, we kind of have a mission statement in a way the lifers goal is to be able to spread love and kindness through song and through actions. Uh, So not only in the songs that we write do we reference our um, love of nature and its power and vulnerability, but we also like to carry that forward in the actions that we take as a band. So for example for our last album we were really conscious about the materials like I mentioned before So we we got all of the paper printing for the album done at a local place here in Guelph called Ampersand who does carbon neutral printing on post-consumer waste recycled paper. And so that was one of many of the actions that we took to try to reduce our footprint uh, in that process. Now for us it's not only reducing the footprint but also uh, speaking out about these kind of issues. So one, Uh, I think it was two years ago, maybe even three years ago now. We went on a tour out east, and it was called the Sweet Intentions Tour. And Anita bound a book that was called our Sweet Intentions book. And in the middle of each set that we played on that tour, we passed the book around, inviting people to reflect on some of the songs that we were singing about, and maybe writing down one uh, meaningful thing that they would like to carry forward with them after this concert, something they'd like to change in their life to improve their relationship with the land or any living thing on it. And so that was a really amazing way to see the community that we were creating come together uh, in a way that is not geographically bound and, and just see the ways that we are all trying to do better all the time. We most recently released a song called "Tip," which we call an enviro-political outcry, and it really consolidates a lot of our feelings and our frustrations around the climate crisis. And so, I feel like music has always kind of been a facilitator for this kind of um, sustainability work that I want to do. And so, it's it's kind of been snowballing in a in a very positive way. And most recently. Uh, Bridget Fry from Moscow Apartment reached out to me and asked if I wanted to be a part of the kind of the steering committee for Music to Color's Emergency. And so I feel like this work is something that is going to be in my life forever. And and I want to make sure that it's sustainable for me as a person as well, where I'm able to commit my whole heart to... um, hopefully increasingly uh, more impactful um, organizations or just projects as a whole.
0: Does it feel like activism?
1: Uh, <laughs> it's a funny word. I Yes, I guess the short answer is yes. The word activism has been uh, kind of playing on my tongue for a little while now, because in many ways I really identify with, the sentiment behind that word Um, it's unfortunately it can be also associated with some negative connotations as well like I guess I used to think of activism as kind of being loud and causing a ruckus and uh, not necessarily um, doing so in a way that feels like me Uh, I'm not necessarily a super loud person, and yet I have loud feelings that I share in different ways. So I guess activism is a lot of uh, what I do, but the word advocacy feels a little softer in in my mind, and it it feels a little bit more all-encompassing as well. The word activist is kind of like, it has the word active in there, which means you're doing something, but the word advocacy means not only that you believe in something, but that you're doing something about it, you're, you're speaking on behalf of it. So, I don't know, I, I am very much uh, on that journey to discovering what kind of words feel, feel best for me, but definitely those, both of them play a huge role, and I feel like just in general, earth lover, <laughs> is just a nice way to put it too or just human i'm a human
0: <laughs> I, I appreciate the way that you're describing advocacy there's and connecting that to advocate or advocate um reflecting on what you're saying it, it sounds like a lot of this work has been about relationship for you and to be advocating implies the relationship with the other living things that you're advocating for
1: Totally. That's what it's all about. Reciprocal relationships with whoever, or if you want to use the word, whatever you are around.
0: The pandemic has changed a lot of things for, well, everyone, um, particularly for the music industry and for musicians. How has the last year changed the realities of your musical life?
1: Oh, it's flipped it inside out and twirled it all around, that's for sure. Um, I think a huge thing that I have been able to reflect on personally is how I balance my time, or strive to balance my time, between different projects uh, professionally and personally. Uh, and most importantly, spending time with family and friends, because that's what gives meaning to everything else for me. So I think the pace of how I hope to continue on as a musician will be quite a bit different from before. Um, I don't necessarily think I was a workaholic, but I really... I love what I do, and I was just gung ho to do everything. My partner Braden, who is the other half of Tragedy Anne, has come to remind me in a beautifully gentle way: live, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And that's something that I think about more and more as I move through the world, and just think about how you know everything I do, I want it to. I want to be all in with it and be able to uh, let it shine its fullest light. So, if I try and do too many things, I won't be able to give quite as much energy to all of them. So, a slower pace, maybe uh, f- less frequent touring, but uh, but I I still very much love that part of what I do. So, it will it will stay a part of my life very fully. But uh, a little bit more mindfully, not only in terms of the environmental impact, but uh, also the impact on my well-being as well. So, yeah, that's a that's a big part of it for me.
0: Your touring, knowing a little bit about your touring schedules in the past, uh, they've taken you from small cafes uh, on the shores of Lake Ontario to other parts of Canada and around the world, including to a number of festivals and festivals here in Ontario, and and I believe further afield as well. Are there ways that you've seen festivals really step up in their environmental responsibility?
1: Totally. It's been uh, really amazing to see that change. Uh, Although I do feel like speaking broadly, it's happening quite slowly or too slowly. Luckily, very close to home, I have a really amazing example uh, and that is Hillside Festival. Hillside has been working on their green initiatives for many years and has been kind of it's been a part of their core as a festival from the beginning so just recently they were able to have uh, the full Uh, gumption to say yes we are now completely carbon neutral as a festival uh, combining all of their initiatives together and then just for the final tiny little bit they did a couple um, carbon offset uh, purchases as well and uh, so they are definitely a huge model for me in terms of what you can do to partner with the community that you're in to uh, make sure that it is not leaving a trace (laughs) so that that's amazing to see happen and I was speaking with um, I've been speaking with a few other festival directors who are interested in doing more of this learning and luckily with Music Declares Emergency there is going to be some really cool programming uh, during the week of Earth Week uh, not only for musicians but especially for uh, having little events uh, highlighting ways that different folks in the industry, like festivals, can uh, work on their green initiatives.
0: Are there people who are particularly inspiring you or or teaching you as you as you engage in this work and on this this journey?
1: Hmm. Very much so. I feel like well, one of the first people that came to mind when you asked that question was Teresa Levesa she's always been such a natural collaborator and just people connector in general and is really organized with how she gets stuff done and her heart is fully in whatever she's in and she lifts people up and thinks about succession from the very beginning in everything she does and is always open to feedback as well i think that's a huge thing if you're involved in something personally or with an organization, taking in that feedback with an open heart can really let it thrive in a new way. So even though, uh, well, I guess, Teresa's involved not only with um, within the music industry, but she, she's very vocal about uh, all of the things that she believes in, whether it's on social media or just it's just a part of what she does as a person. Uh, so I, I like that. Uh, I think that last statement summarizes what I mean very well. Like if what you do is just a natural part of who you are, then I think you're in a good place.
0: And if people listening wanted to find out more about music declares an emergency, what should they do? Where should they go?
1: Yes. I encourage everybody listening right now to jot down or type it straight into their phone, musicdeclares.net slash CA. So there's a Canadian page within the Music Declares Emergency International page, uh, which leads you to a lot of great information on the declaration itself, what we stand for, and then you can sign up. And that is a great opportunity to stand with everybody else and say, "Yes, I believe in what what we declare in this um, in this forum, and I am willing to put my name out there." You can also sign up uh, and say that you're willing to join a working group. We're we're calling on volunteers right now as well to help us get the balls. Uh, or get the gears in motion. It's a very new project still so uh, we will take all the help we can get for that and you can also take a look at who has declared an emergency so far. Lots and lots of people internationally and some amazing folks uh, in Canada specifically are listed right there on the website so I won't give any of that away but you should definitely check it out and consider being a part of this movement as an artist, as an individual, as an organization, or as a fan.
0: Right on. And certainly I've in looking through that that website myself and, and seeing even some of the slogans that are coming out of that. um, It one of the ones that seems to be the most prevalent is no music on a dead planet. And, and we want music. And we want the planet. So let's figure out how to get those things working together.
1: Mm -hmm. And there's actually, I'll just say quickly, there's some really great resources that are listed on the Music Declares Emergency page as well. And they're specific to your occupation within the music industry or your fandom within the music industry as well. So those are really helpful uh, to take a look at. And we also post lots of stuff on social media. So... Uh, there's links to that there as well
0: (laughs) like follow and get involved
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: this would seem like a great time to play your very own enviro social political anthem so uh, Liv thank you so much for joining us today and I think it's time we listen to tip
1: thanks so much John it's always so much fun to talk with you See the rest of it in each resource, imported in each pipeline, extorted